This is the Crosspoint Sermon Audio from Carrollton, Texas. Thank you, guys. That was that was beautiful. What do you guys think? Thanks. Yeah. Uh, join me as we uh, as we read the Word of the Lord this morning. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Eden, and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Paraskeva decatriophobia. Does anybody know what that is? What? Nope. Paraskeva decatriophobia. Nope. It is the fear of Friday the 13th. I learned that this week because it was Friday the 13th. <laughs> How about glossophobia? Anybody know what that is? <laughs> it, it's the fear of public speaking, which I obviously have. How about... <laughs> you didn't have to laugh that much. How about ophidiophobia? Fear of your mother? <laughs> Based on the answer, that might be true. <laughs> That's the fear of snakes. Ophidiophobia, yes. Uh, and I actually do have that fear. Like, I can't stand snakes. So when I saw that uh, this week's text was the one we just read, my initial response was, why did it have to be snakes? That's right. It's a weird text, isn't it? Um. Yeah, it's, it's one of those ones that, that you read and you're not exactly sure what to make of it. It smacks a little of magic, right? People get bitten and they erect this bronze snake on a pole and you look on it and you're healed. It's kind of magic. It kind of reminds us of another animal that was crafted in the Israelites' midst, right? Yeah, the calf. And that didn't go, out, didn't go so well. <laughs> And of course, that leads into the commandment to avoid graven images, which we, we try to avoid. Lastly, it involves snakes. <laughs> I hate snakes. <laughs> so if we're going to understand this text, let's, let's take a look at it and see if we can't mine it for some valuable information amidst the snakes. I think it's important to understand the context of, in which this happens. Um, this takes place in the book of Numbers. Uh, 
And the, the book of Numbers uh, actually has another um, title in, in the Jewish uh, Torah, uh, which is um, In the Wilderness, which it's essentially the, tra the trials and tribulations that they faced while in the wilderness heading towards the promised land. And by this point in Numbers, the Israelites have been wandering for 30-some-odd years. They're almost to the promised land. They've seen God do some amazing things in their midst. They've seen, in fact, just the, the verse prior to the one we just read, uh, God helps them to defeat the Canaanites massively. And, and, and they, they prayed to him, and he, he helped them. Now, though, they begin to murmur. That's, that's what the uh, Jewish phrasing is, murmur. And this text actually comes at the end as the, as the final of the murmuring stories. You know what I mean when I talk about the murmuring stories? These are the stories, and you've heard them over and over again. They start all the way back in the book of Exodus. And essentially what happens is the Israelites murmur, grumble, get upset about something. Whether it's there is no food, right? Or there is no water, right? That's the murmuring. And each time that they complain, uh, they complain to Moses, and they say, why have you brought us here? They murmur against him. <clears throat> and each time Moses goes to God, God supplies their needs, right? They say, we have no food. He gives them manna. They say, we have no water. Water comes shooting out of a rock. <laughs> As it does. <laughs> and this is, this is the last one. This is the last recorded one that we have. But here, there's something different. You see, each time in the previous murmuring stories, the people have murmured against Moses, right? Against Moses and Aaron, and Moses goes to God and says, let's do something about this. Here, the complaint is directly against God. I'll, re I'll read it again, what, what he says, what the, what the text says. Um, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. The, the people spoke against God and his provision for them. They outright rejected what he had done for them. You know, they say, there is no water. They literally had water shooting out of a rock for them. No water. <laughs> What's that? It didn't taste good, but they had water. They complain that there is no food. And it's terrible. <laughs> there is no food, and it's terrible. How does that happen? Not only is the complaint different, the response is different. Each time in the previous stories, when they complain, God gives them provision for their complaints. This time, instead of supplying for their needs, he sends something deadly into their midst. Snakes. As I said, I hate snakes. But, for your sake... This week, I decided to do some research on snakes. <sighs> I uh, thought, okay, what kind of snake was this? 
you know, the text tells us a fiery serpent. What does that mean? And based on the research that I did, and it wasn't a lot because I don't like snakes and I don't want to spend too much time thinking about them, here's kind of what I came up with. I, I believe, and, and there's some other people who kind of agree with me on this, thankfully, that the snake that they encountered was called the Echis. It goes by the common name of the saw-clawed viper. That sounds fun, doesn't it? Yeah. God, God sends fiery serpents. Fiery serpents. It, it got me thinking, what is a fiery serpent? Obviously, it probably wasn't on fire. That would be a little much. These saw-clawed vipers, they have a characteristic threat display when they're threatened and when they want to prepare for an attack. The reason they're claw called saw-scaled saw vipers is because they have um, scales on their back that are kind of at this angle. And so what they do is they coil up onto themselves and they rub their scales against themselves. And it produces this sizzling sound. Kind of like fire. Yeah. But that's probably not the only reason that they were called fiery serpents. Uh, additionally, these particular saw-scaled vipers attack with lightning speed. They will shoot out about two-thirds of their body length before retreating to their original posture, and it takes place in less than a second. They are fiery fast. <laughs> but then we come to the other reason that I think they were probably considered fiery. The results of their bite. Bear with me, because this one's kind of hard to read. <laughs> the victim of a saw-scaled viper will experience severe pain in the bitten area. And sometimes the bitten area may be swollen. If the poison spreads in the blood of the victim, then the patient may start shivering, vomiting, feel feverish, fiery, may experience chilliness. That's not really fiery. Although last night I did reach into my, my uh, freezer and uh, I, I got burnt in my freezer. I don't even know how that happened, but it hurt. Th thanks. I know. That's, that's one of my many talents. <laughs> Uh, so, the uh, chilliness and oozing of blood from the gums. Oh, it gets worse. <laughs> Normally, blood may ooze out between 1 to 14 hours. If the bite is severe, blood may ooze out within an hour from the gums of the patient. And with the passage of time, the patient may have renal failure. Blood may ooze from the tongue of the victim. Blood may also start coming from the different parts of the body, like the nose, eyes, and ears. Finally, blood may also bleed from the brain and may lead to a heart attack. I know, right? <laughs> it would have been a horrible, terrible death. However, so why did it have to be snakes? Ding. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> I found this midrash that, it, that it kind of explained it this way. God punished the Israelites by means of serpents because the serpent was the first to speak slander in Genesis. You remember that? Ah, yeah. Uh, but the, uh, and so God cursed the serpent, but the Israelites did not learn a lesson from the serpent's fate, and nonetheless, they spoke slander against God. God therefore sent the serpents to punish them. I think additionally, though, if we look at serpents and snakes and all that and what it would have meant... Uh, the image of a snake can be seen as representative of Egypt. 
If you remember, the pharaoh had a headdress that had a cobra. <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah, I know. The Israelites complained. Well, what did they want to do? What, what, why were they complaining? Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Right? They wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back. They wanted to return to their previous ways, and so God allowed them to see what that kind of life would produce. Snakes. Death. And then God, as he does, took that object of their suffering, the snakes, and turned it into their only hope for life. Right? He told Moses, craft a bronze snake, put it on a pole. How many of you have ever seen in your lifetime a snake on a pole? A real one? No, no, no. Not a real one. Well, I mean, a real one, I'm sure. <laughs> where, where have you seen it? Where have you seen it? What, a doctor's office. That's right. That's right. What did you call it? Caduceus. That's right. Um, it, it's, it's the symbol for healing. It's the medical logo. It's interesting, huh? That idea persisted through the ages. This idea of this snake on a, on a pole as healing persisted down through the ages. <clears throat> now, this type of healing was not uncommon back in the time of Numbers. Uh, in fact, back then it was uh, practiced by a lot of cultish uh, cults. Cultish cults? Sure. <laughs> What's that? The best kind, that's right. If you're going to be in a cult, it might as well be cultish. Uh, <laughs> but it was called sympathetic magic. And the idea was that, that a person or a thing could be supernaturally affected through its name or an object representing it. So by using a snake, you could heal snake bites. By using, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, so that, a snake could heal snake bites. If you looked upon it, that was seen as sympathetic magic back then. However, this one is a little different. This one's not like the ones of the cults back then. Another Jewish uh, book describes or teaches that the brass serpent affected its miraculous cure because when the Israelites directed their thoughts upward and turned their hearts to God, they were healed. But otherwise, they perished. You see, they weren't healed by the item itself. Right? The, the, the bronze serpent on a staff had nothing to do with their healing. All it did was point to the healer beyond. The whole idea was to get them to stop looking horizontally in the murmuring crowd and rather look up to the one who heals and provides. And it was a good thing. And the people were healed. And the cool thing is it actually continued on. Like after this story, it, the, you'll actually, there's actually records of, of people being healed by this, this snake and this pole. However, as often happens with us, we took something that God gave us as good and we twisted it. Let's listen as the story continues with this Snake on a stake. <laughs> we read in Second Kings about uh, Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a, a good king. In fact, I'll just read it as this. 
In God's opinion, he was a good king. He kept to the standards of his ancestor David. He got rid of the local fertility shrines, smashed the phallic stone monuments, and cut down the sex and religion of Shara Groves. As a final stroke, he pulverized the ancient bronze serpent that Moses had made. At that time, the Israelites had taken up the practice of sacrificing to it. They even dignified it with a name, Nehushten, the old serpent. You see, God gave them this form of healing. He never meant for them to worship it. That's what they did, right? They worshiped the created rather than the creator. And they even gave it a name. It lived in the temple. And so when Hezekiah is coming through and he wants to change Israel's ways, he smashes this thing. Because they had taken it and perverted it. And to be honest, if the story of this poll had ended there, we probably wouldn't be talking about it today. Right? This unusual occurrence would have been lost to the annals of history. However, as he's known to do, God had a plan to redeem that which he had instituted. We're going to continue on. John 3, 14 to 15. Some of you have read that this week in our labs. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the, man, the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. Jesus is essentially saying, I'm like a snake. What? How is Jesus like a snake? Back in the garden, as we said earlier, the serpent tempted mankind. We gave in, and we've been slavery to, to Satan's reign ever since. In the wilderness, the Israelites wanted to return to their bondage and slavery in Egypt. Egypt symbolized by a snake. God allowed them to see and symbol what their return to that, life, that kind of life would be like. It was death. And then he raised a symbol of their past, their sins on a pole showing he had defeated it. In the same way, Jesus took on our sins and was raised on a cross. An image pointing above the murmuring crowd to the one who heals. It's been interesting to me going through the, um, through the lab series and, and um, studying the lectionary, as we've been doing, and how they've tied in different stories to happen at Lent, this time that we're in right now. Lent is generally observed as a time for Christians to reflect, repent, and pray as a way of preparing their hearts for Easter. And I believe that this weird side-winding story Thanks. <laughs> of this staff with a snake is an appropriate one to look at this time of the year. You see, much as Israelites looked up to the snake for healing, we as Christians look to the cross. However, we must remember that true healing comes not from the symbol, 
but from the one who does the healing. The very next verse that after John 3, 14 to 15 is John 3, 16, which starts, for God so loved the world. Ultimately, that's what he's pointing back to, God himself. He wants us to look above the murmuring crowd to him. So what can we learn from, from all of this? I think one of the first things that we need to learn is what do we need to remove? In the same way that the Israelites had started praying to that, you know, and making sacrifices to that stake, that, that snake on a stake, and Hezekiah had to remove it, I think in the same ways we fall prey to that, where we trust things rather than God. Richard was right this morning. When everything goes out, right, we had no lights, we had no, none of that stuff. When all of that was taken away, it was a beautiful opportunity for us to get truly intimate with God. I'll be honest. We have this beautiful space, and we get the chance to do cool graphics and videos and lights and all this other stuff. But this doesn't mean anything if it doesn't ultimately point to God. And if, when all of this goes out, we can't continue to worship him, well, I don't even want to think about what the ramifications of that are. Like King Hezekiah, we need to look to God and not worship only that which we can see. Those things are only meant to point to him. So what do we need to remove? Do we need to get rid of some of this stuff? No, I like these things. <laughs> but we don't need to rely on them, right? What else can we learn from this? Uh, how about don't overlook the judgment. There is punishment for our sins. When we don't trust in the Lord and we assume that we know what's best, there are going to be consequences. And let's be blunt. The people's grumbling against Moses, God's chosen man was bad enough. People's grumbling against God was even worse. But the people actually grumbled about God's gracious gift of the manna. They called this miracle provision for nourishment miserable food. I mean, that's the height of spiritual arrogance, isn't it? And worse yet, in detesting the manna, the people of Israel were detesting the very gift of God, which Jesus would identify with himself. I am the bread which came down from heaven. No wonder God punished them. So watch out for those areas in your life where you are detesting the Lord, because there are going to be consequences. Next, face your fears. Confession is a great thing. When we turn from our own ways and we face our fears and acknowledge our weakness before the Lord, well, that's when the healing really begins. And much like Jesus asked the sick man, do you want to be made well? He asked you that of, that of you today. 
Do you want to be made well? The serpents in our lives aren't going away. They're here. However, God offers you healing in the midst of them. You simply need to face your fears. He's already conquered them and placed them on a pole high above the murmuring crowd. Are you willing to look upon it and ultimately him for healing? Will you trust him to do what he has promised to do? And last, don't overlook the grace. You see, even though God didn't remove the snakes from their midst and he doesn't remove them from ours, he did provide a way of healing. He did provide a source of life. And he didn't even make it that hard for them to accept. All they had to do was look up. Are you willing to look up this morning? Let's pray. O God of comfort and God of challenge, we come to you this morning the way the Israelites did, full of complaints and dissatisfaction. Nothing is enough. We do not recognize your blessing at work in our day-to-day lives. So we ask that you forgive us when we become so comfortable that we moan and groan about the most insignificant details of our lives. In our complaints, challenge us, as you did the Israelites, to consider the bigger picture of oppression, injustice, and inequality around us. Forgive us when we close our eyes for fear of what you might show us. Keep sending loving and compassionate leaders to open our eyes until we see what you see in our world. Father God, we thank you for this time this morning. And we pray that we will always look to you for our healing. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been the Crosspoint Sermon Audio from Carrollton, Texas. For more information about our church, visit www.crosspoint.com.